Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Well, it's great to see you this morning, and uh, if you have your Bibles with you, would you take them and turn to Acts chapter 5? We're going to take a look at a passage of Scripture that likely you have read before, if you've ever read through the New Testament or the book of Acts, but probably you didn't stop on this passage, and it's easy to, uh, to try to go by it very quickly, but in our series called Rewired, We've been talking about out of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we are to no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. There's a difference in us. We're supposed to be remade inside and out, but even in the very way we think, and the way we think really is, uh, it is a spiritual issue. And today we want to talk a little bit about the, ca- the shadow that you cast when you're walking close to the Lord. When we started this series, I was reminded immediately of one of my favorite older stories of uh, three guys all of them religious that were out driving together in the country. One was a Hebrew, or a Hebrew, one was a Hindu, one was a, a Jewish rabbi, and one was a kind of a, just kind of a critical, complaining, negative Christian. That's just who he was, and that's what he wanted. And, and so anyway, they, they get caught in this storm, and they pull into like this driveway of a farmhouse. They get inside, the farmer welcomes them in and says, well, come on in and shelter from the storm. And and uh, he says, you know, it's so bad and it's supposed to stay all night. looks like probably we're going to have to just spend the night here. He said, the problem is I've only got two beds. And so one of you is going to have to go out and sleep in the barn. So the Hindu said, I just got to tell you, he says, in my religion, it's kind of an honor to suffer. We believe that if we suffer in this world, we'll have a better life than the next world. And so he said, I'd be glad to go out and sleep in the barn. So he goes out. A couple minutes later, you hear this knock at the door. Opens it up. It's the Hindu guy. He goes, I'm sorry. He says, I can't sleep in your barn. He says, I didn't realize, but you have a cow. And he says, cows are sacred where I come from, and they're sacred within my religion. I could never do something as to dishonor a cow by sleeping out in its bedroom. I'm going to have to sleep inside. So the Jewish rabbi says, hey, you know what? My people have been persecuted for years and years and years. He said, I know what it is to suffer, and so I'll be glad to go out and sleep in the barn. A couple minutes later, hear a knock at the door. It's the Jewish rabbi. He says, I'm sorry. I can't sleep in the barn. There's a pig in the barn. He says, pigs are unclean animals. I could never defile my religion in such a way as to somehow sleep in a barn with a pig. So the negative, complaining, critical Christian goes, oh, you know what? I knew this was going to happen. I knew when we started this conversation. I knew somehow I would be the one who has to go out, has to sleep in the barn. Fine. It always had. You know what? I'll go out. I'll sleep in the barn. A couple minutes later, knock at the door. It's the cow and the pig. Nobody likes a critical, negative, complaining anything. And I thought about that a few weeks ago when we were in Philippians chapter 2 and it says do everything without complaining or arguing, right? So that you can shine like stars in the universe. And today I want to talk to you a little bit as we do a character study and a transitional study on a guy by the name of Peter. Now, I love the Apostle Peter. He is, uh, Paul, Paul is probably been my favorite author. Of course, he's written most of the New Testament. I like reading the works of Paul. It just works with my brain. Uh, I love John. John probably, he's really a close second. I love the Gospel of John, and I have fallen in love more and more with the Gospel of John as I see the, the deity of Christ and I see his attributes, his miraculous uh, beauty. And, and then in First John, it, to me, is so practical in my Christian walk. But, but uh, Peter is the guy I identify most with. 
And probably he's the one that many of you identify with because Peter is, in one minute, Peter is like, man, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, right? And then in the next minute, Jesus has to tell him, get behind me, Satan, right? Because you're an agent of Satan in my life and you're a stumbling block. Um, you're up, you're down. Or, or you're walking on water, right? Peter's the guy who walks on water. And then in the next instant, this is the guy who desperately needs Jesus to save him. And this morning when I was thinking through this, I go, and that's an analogy of a lot of our Christian walks. Because in some moments we're doing so good, it's like we can walk on water. And then the next moment it's like, man, Jesus, I need you so bad. Your grace is going to have to somehow save me. And then, then in one minute, he is bold and brash for Jesus, right? He'll stand up for him, and then in just a few hours later, he'll deny Jesus. And so we see in, we see in Peter's life this ebb and this flow, this up and this down, this, this doing great and not doing so great, until you come into the book of Acts, because something trans, transformational happens to Peter. I don't think there's any disciple that we see that becomes more solidified in who he is and a transformation that takes place in who he is than in the Apostle Peter. Why? Well, first of all, he had an encounter with the resurrected Savior, which, by the way, I would ask all of us, have you had an encounter with Jesus? No, maybe you haven't had a, an upfront, personal, physical encounter with Christ. But have you met him? Have you known what it is to have him come into your life and have you learned what it is to surrender to him, he had a transformational moment with Christ. He sees Jesus ascend into the heavens with the promise that Jesus is going to come again in like same fashion. He has the promise of the Holy Spirit given by the angels who say, go back into Jerusalem, wait until such a time as that I give the promised Holy Spirit. He leads the prayer meeting in Acts chapter 1 as they all come together in unity asking God to pour him spirit out. Acts chapter 2, he's one of the recipients of the Spirit of God as on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit pours out on believers and now indwells them. And oh, by the way, that same indwelling takes place today in our lives when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Paul says it later on in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. He says, do you not know that you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit? And so God has taken up residence within believers and it's just transformational. He gives his first message, 3,000 individuals come to Christ at the altar call. That is a big altar call. In one day, one message, 3,000 lives are saved. He continues to minister in public. He is willing to go before the Sanhedrin with John. He is threatened of his life if he doesn't stop uh, proclaiming this resurrected Jesus Christ. He has a fresh anointing along with the other believers in the upper room, Acts chapter 4. When they call out to God, he pours out his spirit, once again refreshes them, once again gives them boldness, and once again fills them with his spirit. And then you come to chapter 5. And in chapter 5, verse 12, it says this. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else joined them or dared to join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Now why? Well, they, weren't, they didn't dare to join them because maybe they had so many of them, they just didn't have room. I think it's probably because the public sentiment 
of the Sanhedrin was against them, and so they were a little nervous about joining them in public, although they were highly favored among the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number, and as a result, people brought their sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Did you notice verse 15? As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. And the inference in that passage is that merely because of whatever power was protruding from Peter's life, that just his shadow touching them would heal them. Now, the only thing I can think of in the New Testament that looked anything like that would have been in the life of Jesus, where in two of the Gospels, it talks about the fact that Jesus was surrounded by people, and there was a woman in the crowd who had a bleeding disorder, and she touched the hem of his garment, believing that if she just touched him, she could be healed. And immediately, Luke says, Jesus knew that power had gone out from him, and he asked, who touched me? And the woman was healed. There's probably a little bit of a fashion of that in the Old Testament when you would see the mantle or the cloak that Elijah has that would perhaps have a healing impact. But I'm, I'm struck by this because when I read through this, I was with a, a, a number of other pastors. In fact, one of them actually quoted this verse. And ever since that time, almost two months ago, this verse has grabbed me. This concept has haunted me. My, my leaders will know that I shared with them in our, in our boardroom a month ago. And I just wanted to share this thought. And I, I didn't know what it meant for me except that, Lord, could I possibly walk so closely with you in such a relationship with you that my mere shadow could have an impact in people's lives. I share it uh, when I'm talking to people on the, in my office or I share it when I'm walking down the hallway. This last week I shared it with our staff as I was just trying to mesh it out. And, and I realize it's Acts chapter 5. I realize that it's a shadow, but, but as I began to think about it, I began to ask myself, are there some things that, could, that I could do that might actually impact the ability of God to use my shadow in the life of other people? I realize I can't create this. I realize this isn't really about my power. It's really about God's power working in me. But what are some things that I could do that might actually impact that? And there were three things that came to my mind over the last couple of months. The first one is purity. It's just simply, is there anything in my life that is hindering God's ability to work in and through my life? Now, I want you to know God doesn't need my permission to do anything. God can do anything He likes. And yet, when I read God's Word, it does become very clear to me that just if you've ever had a home that had a clogged sink and you had some pipes where the water wouldn't go down, just like sometimes when there's gunk in the pipes and it needs to be cleaned out, whether it be through Drano or whatever, in order for them to flow correctly, sometimes 
There can be stuff that I allow into my life that by allowing those things to remain in my life, it really hinders God's ability to really work through me. And I think we see that in Scripture. And you probably already know what they are. Because as soon as I said it, you might have been thinking about something immediately that you're going, oh no, I wonder, I wonder if this, whether it be an attitude that you've had or a, a grudge that you have held or an entertainment that you've embraced or um, maybe it's a forgiveness or an unforgiveness that you've grabbed onto. It's just something that you have allowed to penetrate. And it, be, it started off maybe as a once in a while, and then it became something that became so common in your life, and now it's something that's embraced in your life, and you don't even think about the fact that it's there, but it is, and it's hindering God's ability to really pour out His favor. David had that happen. I mean, David was a man after God's own heart, and even David had some things like that. The one we know for sure was with his sin with Bathsheba. We know David committed adultery with Bathsheba. She was the wife of another man. We know that he actually impregnated her. We know that he covered it up by actually having the other guy killed. We know that he eventually brought her into his home. All of that stuff, but here's the thing. Had he dealt with it quickly, I actually don't think it would have had the devastation in his life that it did. But do you realize, and if you do the, just do the, the pattern, do the numbers, read the story, for over a year, David would not come clean on that. For a year, the Spirit of God was working on him. For a year, the Spirit of God, as he talks about, was like the heat of the summer sun and that his energy was stolen from him as he gives testimony in the Psalms. As his bones were being crushed by God, he just had this unrelenting, stubborn spirit that would not come clean. But I think the reason that David is called a man after God's own heart is that when David does come clean, he comes clean in full abandon. And this week I was reading in Psalm 51, which is his psalm, that really is kind of a rejoicing after his, it's his, it's his, it's, you know what it is? It's his, it's his heart in song as he asks God to do a cleansing work, to clean the pipes, so to speak. And he says this in, in, um, in Psalm 51. Verse 7, he says, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Some of you remember that old hymn of faith, right? Whiter than snow. Yes, whiter than snow. Lord, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. By the way, there's a couple of other songs that come right out of this psalm that we have sung over the years. He says this, he says, let me hear joy and gladness. Why? Because he wasn't hearing joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Why does he pray that? Because he said, Lord, I can't clean myself on my own. And Lord, I can't even stand firm in you on my own. I need your grace to forgive me, grace to keep me, grace to cleanse me, and your grace to even help me want to. What a heart. He was not a man after God's own heart because he was perfect, but he was pure. 
And there is a difference. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Why does he pray that? Because he feels like he's distant from God. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Why? Because he wasn't experiencing joy. And so when David comes clean, God does a purifying work and it's just simply this. There were some things that God couldn't do through David's life while he held on and embraced things that ought not to be there. And it doesn't have to be as scandalous as adultery. It's just simply what's there that God doesn't want to be there. It impacts my shadow. Number two, it's his presence. And this one is, is really pretty simple, is that am I walking so close with the Lord that there's an overflow effect into the lives of others? Now the one that I think of when I think of the Old Testament on God's presence is Moses, because Moses embraces and loves God's presence in his life. In fact, Moses, when he's having kind of a, I don't want to call it an argument, but he has, he's having a little bit of a back and forth with God, He's having a tough time in Exodus 33 and he begins to cry out to God because God can handle it when we cry out to him. By the way, did you know that? God can handle your honesty. I think what God, what God, I think what probably bugs God more, now I don't want to speak for God, but he does give us pretty good clarity in his word. I think what really bugs God is when you know there's something going on and we just won't talk about it. And so, Moses is being honest with the Lord and he says this, he says, Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know who you're going to send with me. In other words, who's going to help me lead? You have said you know me by name and that I found favor with you. Well, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this is not my nation, this is your nation. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses, I love this, he goes, well, if your presence doesn't go with us, then don't send us up from here because how can anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me? Hey, look at this verse, would you? I think it's in your notes. Exodus 33, verse 16. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth. He says your presence is the only thing that is going to make me distinctive from everybody else. It is not my color, my ethnicity. It is not the church I go to. It's not the country that I'm a citizen of. It's not, it's not the car that I drive. It's not the career that's my calling. He says what is going to distinguish me from everybody else in this world is your presence in my life. And it is undeniable. A few years ago, uh, Tammy and I were going away on a winter vacation. I think it's when we went on a cruise, I think. And um, if it wasn't then, it was some other thing. We're going to a hot place with sun. And so you may find this hard to imagine, but I'm kind of very white. And I don't always do great with sun. And I, uh, the only way I get a tan is if I get a nice crispy burn and it just kind of turns a nice little auburn. That's kind of how I get a tan. And so I thought, you know what? It's February. I thought, you know what? 
I don't want to go on this vacation and burn the first three days and be miserable. So uh, our gym had these tanning booths, and so I thought, you know what? I'm going to get one of those month memberships, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to, I'm going to give myself a little bit of, of, you know, tan before I go on this, this. Sitting by the poolside would not be pretty if, if I didn't do a little something, and so I thought, I'm going to go and do this. So I did. I started going. I'd pop in. What is it? Five, start with five minutes. When you're like me, they put you in for like two minutes. And then I, I was like a rotisserie chicken. They just kept kind of putting me in and that kind of thing. And so, um, so I started getting a little bit of color. And by the way, the color is not quite natural. It, it, I don't know why it is, but it's a different color. And so I have a good friend who attends this church who is um, sometimes brutally honest with me. And he just texted me, and he wasn't mean. Here's what he said. Dude, what is up with your color? Are you tanning? And so I had to give him a medical reason uh, for the fact that I needed to do this. <laughs> and, and, the, but, and he was not mean, but he wasn't necessarily complimenting me. And what he was saying is, it's kind of hard to miss. Have you ever noticed that? By the way, they are... You, they, you may not know who you are, but we all know who you are that are in tanning booths. Why? Because we can tell. It's hard to hide. It just is. It's really hard to hide. Now, I'm not making fun of anybody. It's hard to hide. When you've been in a certain place and you've had a certain light, it's really hard to hide that you've been with the light. And that's really true in your relationship with Christ. When you've been close to Him, it's really hard not to see it. As we shared about this with our staff this week, we were talking, I think it was Pastor Ryan, I think, that said, isn't it interesting about a shadow? Is that a shadow doesn't create its own shadow. You don't create your shadow. It's the light source that creates the shadow. And by the way, the closer you are to the intensity of the light, it will determine the proximity and the impact of the shadow. And if Christ is the light, How close are you and what kind of a shadow are you casting? Now when you get into the New Testament, Paul says we're not like that. We're not going to be like Moses who had to cover up his, his face. No, he says this. He says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, we have such a very bold hope. We're not like Moses who had put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at the radiance as it was fading away. We have unveiled faces and we reflect the Lord's glory. All are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so I guess I just got to ask you, how's His presence in your life? Number three, again, we just don't have anything really to do with this. It's His power. And it's His power evident in our life through the Holy Spirit because, you see, here's the deal. All I can do to invite the power and the Spirit of God to work through my life is just make sure I'm in position. That's really it. When we see Scripture, the only info, the Holy Spirit does whatever He wants to do. He gives you whatever gifts He wants to do. He is completely in charge of that. But there is something in Scripture that when I'm in position for the Spirit of God to work in my life, He has a way of pouring Himself out in my life. Acts chapter 4, it's really interesting. 
Peter and the rest of the disciples have already been filled with the Spirit. They've already seen thousands of people come to the Lord. They've already been critiqued and they've been criticized and they've been threatened for sharing in the name of Jesus Christ. They have been basically told, don't you ever preach in the name of Jesus Christ again or you're going to go to prison. And in chapter 4, their response to this is what? They prayed. And it's like they needed a fresh touch from the Master's hand because life has a way of squeezing. Can I say it this way? It's not accurate, but it's a, it's a metaphor. Life has a way of just kind of squeezing the Spirit of God out of your life sometimes. And so Peter and the rest of the disciples begin to cry out to God and they said, Lord, Acts chapter 4, verse 29, now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal. Perform miraculous signs and wonders in the name of your holy servant. They've already, they've already had the day of Pentecost. They're just asking, Lord, hey, you know what? You did it once. Wouldn't you do it again? And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. And theologians love to put forth a tenet that the book of Acts is not prescriptive, it's descriptive. Meaning this, it's a transitional book. The Holy Spirit is not yet indwelling, so every time you see anything in the book of Acts, it's the first time it's happened. And so it's, it's descriptive, not prescriptive in to think that God's going to do this every time. But I, I'm just, can I just say this? If he did it once, why can't he do it again? And maybe there was a day that you were so close with the Lord and you were walking in son's fellowship, but for some reason it just seems like his presence is fleeting and if he did it once, why couldn't he do it again? And there was a time in your life where you seemed to be so full of joy. And when you read the scriptures that said he places a new song in my heart. And if he gave you a song once, maybe he could give you a, a song again. And there's a couple of takeaways because we're talking about shadows and healings and all that stuff. So what are some takeaways today? Well, the first takeaway for my life, and I think it's for your life, is that your shadow is going to have an influence whether you like it or not. Every one of you has a shadow. Moms and dads, you have shadows with your kids. Business owners, you have a shadow with your company. Community leader, you have a shadow with the community. Teachers, you have a shadow with your students. Grandparents, you have a shadow with your grandbabies. And all you want, well, I don't want to have that shadow. No, no, you got a shadow. Everybody has a shadow. Good or bad, everybody has a shadow. And some shadows heal, and some shadows don't. I want to talk about another great theologian, Peter 
Peter Pan. You know who I'm talking about? In the opening scene of the movies and the plays and all those things, Peter is bouncing around the bedroom of the three children who are the main character and he's chasing his shadow and as he sits there, he's crying in the corner and Wendy says to him, boy, why are you crying? Who are you? And he says, I am Peter Pan. And he said something to the like, and I live two stars to the north or something like that and then straight on till morning, something like that. And Wendy says, well, that is a hard address. How do you get your mail? And he says, I don't get no mail. And she said, oh, well, does your mother get mail? And he goes, I, don't, I ain't got no mother. And she said, oh, that must be why you're crying. I could be your mother, Peter. And he said, I ain't crying about no mothers. I'm crying because I can't get my shadow to stick. And like it or not, none of us have that problem. Our shadows stick. And you got a shadow whether you want it or not. Number two. Your shadow is completely consistent with who you are. I'm looking at one of my shadows right now. I got two because of the lights here. And I got to be honest with you, I wish my shadow was a little stealthier than it is. There's this kind of this large blob right about here. Unfortunately, my shadow is completely consistent with who I am. Shadows don't lie. And you may think you're the most positive person in the world, but the people around you don't. I got bad news for you. You ain't. And you may think that you're the highest character person in the world, and yet the people you do business with don't. I got bad news. Your shadow is reflective of who you are. Absolutely consistent. You see, we're really good at saying what we know, but you communicate what you are. And the people in our lives, they catch who we are. Number three, I don't know about you, but I almost never think about my shadow. I never think of where it's... The only time I, I'll be honest, the only time I care is if I'm taking a picture. Every once in a while I have to move. You're a photographer, you're always thinking about shadows, I'm sure. I never think about my shadow. And can I give you good news? You don't have to. When you are walking where you need to walk with the Lord and you're not embracing anything that you oughtn't to embrace, and when you are walking close to the Master, Oswald Sanders says it this way, that in the circle of intimacy, every single one of us chooses today exactly how close we want to be to the Lord. And when I'm inviting and positioning myself for God's power to work in my life, 
The natural byproduct is God directs my shadow in such a way that it can have a healing impact in somebody's life. And maybe this has just been my passage, but i got to tell you, this one has grabbed me the last couple of months. Lord, could I be a man who would so honor you, walk so close with you, that without even trying, my shadow has a healing impact in somebody else's life. Father, I thank you for what we would often think are insignificant passages of Scripture. That statement in and of itself is a falsehood because I believe every jot and tittle Every word that you have given to us is important for our life and is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and training in righteousness and even rebuking when necessary. Father, I deeply want to be a man who honors you and has a healing impact on someone's life whether I know I did or not. And so, Lord, this is, there's, no, there's no motive behind it. I, just, I don't think Peter ever thought about his shadow. I don't, think he ever, I don't think Peter ever worried about his shadow. I just think he just wanted to walk with you and be so close to you that you could flow through his life. And the overflow was just like worship. It was the natural overflow. Lord, I want my life to be a living worship service that brings glory to your name. And I want my attitude to do that. And I want the way I think and the way I talk. I want the things that I meditate on and embrace in my life to have a healing influence on my kids and my grandkids and my friends and my family and the folks here at church and the people in the community don't even know who I am, but it just has a has a healing impact. And Lord, I, I want to have this impact whether I think anybody's watching my life or not. For your glory and your honor. Thanks, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.